Good day, Crime Talk aficionados. My name is Scott Reich, and this is Crime Talk. It's February 28th, 2024, and guess what? YouTube strikes again. New information on the Lakin Riley case. The Kentucky prison system is a mess. They may not have many employees very soon. That former Las Vegas politician is close to getting to trial, maybe, and our dumb criminal of the day. Let's talk about it. Good day, everyone. Thanks for joining us. You know the drill. Subscribe if you haven't. Like if you do. Leave me a comment below and make sure you hit that bell for notifications. You know, when you get to sent, sent to uh, YouTube jail, they take you off the algorithm. So it really helps. And I appreciate it if you hit that little bell. And always remember, you can listen to us anytime on any of your favorite podcasting apps. Well, we had a live last night. And we talked about case going on down in uh, Santa Fe right now regarding uh, Hannah Gutierrez, who is the armorer in the uh, death case regarding the uh, uh, videographer Helena Hutchins. Alec Baldwin will soon be having uh, his case heard there as well. And throughout that case, the issue has been the firearm in which the uh, uh, Helena Hutchins was killed. It was a uh, movie prop set, but it was still capable of firing a uh, firearm. And obviously there was one round in the gun and that's the issue. And last night we discussed the issue as it related to Alec Baldwin and uh, how his defense or claim that the gun just went off probably doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And uh, since I am a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Since I like to bring people true information, accurate information, I brought a real 1873 Colt 45 uh, from that uh, time period. It's an antique and uh, we walked through it. And, but we showed you the uh, cocking mechanism and the fact that uh, it wouldn't just go off and how you would have to release it. And the way you would release it would be to pull the trigger. Well, everything was going great, had lots of comments, people loved it, said it was so informative. And then guess what? We were taken down by YouTube. Yes, that's right. Even though you can have videos on YouTube where you are shooting stuff up, blowing stuff up, trying to determine how badly things will be blown up uh, when uh, something uh, is fired at. That's okay. But God forbid that you hold and handle a firearm that was totally safe. Uh, YouTube will shut you down. They have removed my video. They sent me an email saying, you know, we're just taking it down for now, but if you don't mind your P's and Q's, yeah, that's, it's, it's gonna be bad for you. And they said that we can't live stream. Now they haven't said how long that's gonna be, so hopefully it's not too long, but this is the nonsense uh, that when you try to please everybody, you know, there used to be this thing, like if you didn't like something, you didn't want to watch it or listen to it, you left, you changed the channel. Now, I am certain that somebody complained about it. And here's the thing, if you don't like my channel, you don't like the subject, don't watch it. Nobody's forcing you to do this. And if you don't like the conversation, we're showing how the, the gun works, how it cocks, why it doesn't make sense if Alec Baldwin is gonna proceed with a particular defense, change the channel. I guess give me a thumbs down. Don't like it. Unsubscribe. Do whatever you want to do to say, oh, we're going to complain to YouTube and take it down. 
because their policy says you can't hold, handle, or transport a firearm, but you can go shoot it as long as it's at a range. But if you're in a studio, I'm in a completely safe weapon, which I demonstrated was completely safe before we started talking about it as I was moving it around. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But the people at YouTube want to try to appease everyone. You would think that people at YouTube would know what we've learned over the years. No matter what you do or say, you're going to offend somebody and you just got to do it and move on. But hey, I guess YouTube's notion is, is if it would save just one person's life, wouldn't it be worth it? I guess they thought that maybe if I was going to go live, I was going to do something nefarious or harm myself or those around me. That's it. But I can go to a range, fire, do all those things, blow stuff up, show the extreme decimate force, but God forbid you hold a firearm on live TV. That is the most dangerous thing in the world. And you will be told, no, you will be censored. Wow, YouTube. Thanks a lot. But at least what do we know the good things? There are people out there that still like free speech. And I understand it's not a First Amendment issue because there's no government involvement. Unless, of course, the government's telling YouTube, don't show this. I mean, there is a little bit of a history of that. But you can always go to Rumble. You can go to Facebook. You can go to Twitter, Twitch, any other channel that we have. Apparently, they believe in free speech, where you're actually informing somebody about something. I mean, think about it, ladies and gentlemen. You couldn't live stream a hunter safety class on YouTube with their particular guideline. You couldn't do it. Wow. Does that make a lot of sense to you? No, it doesn't. But hey, does YouTube make any sense whatsoever? No. Anyway, we'll move on. And when we can live stream again, we'll, we'll let you know. They shut us down. But you can go to all our other channels and uh, you can watch all the trials that we've been streaming there as well. Next, let's talk about the Georgia case regarding Lakin Riley. So the neighbors of the young Venezuelan migrant accused of killing Lakin Riley claims that um, he would watch the uh, young lady on the running path all day long and that he was seen on security cameras throwing out bloody clothes on the day of the attack. Now, Jose Antonio Ibarra was arrested at his apartment complex near the running trail close to where Riley's body was found last week. Now, residents of the uh, complex have uh, told reporters that their security cameras captured Ibarra disposing of evidence in the building's dumpster, which they turned over to the police. He apparently took a lot of the evidence. He's on camera with his bloody clothes in a bag, the one neighbor noted. The neighbor also added that she had seen Miss Riley cut through the complex previous occasions to get to the running path and claimed that Ibarra has likely seen the student because he would sit outside all day. The neighbor said that he was out there all hours of the night and day just looking around. Now, the complex is a former hotel converted into studio apartments, and it is uh, believed that Mr. Ibarra is said to have lived with in one unit with four or five other uh, men. 
Now, the 26-year-old has been charged, obviously, with the uh, killing of Miss um, Riley uh, with felony murder charges, false imprisonment, kidnapping, and concealing the death of another. Now, Mr. Barr is accused of using an unknown object as a weapon to kill the uh, nursing student, as well as preventing her from making a 911 call when he allegedly grabbed her sometime between the hours of 9 a.m. and 1 p.m. on Thursday, February 22nd. Now, uh, Miss Riley's body was found the same day on the University of Georgia campus in a wooded area near Lake Herrick that includes trails popular with runners and walkers. Miss Riley had been out jogging when she was allegedly attacked by Mr. Ibarra. Now, the police have said that uh, Ms. Riley died from blunt force trauma after being beaten and that she suffered a disfigured skull. They added that Ibarra dragged her body to a secluded area to conceal her death. This is according to the arrest affidavit. And the police said that Ibarra, who lives in Athens, apparently did not know Riley and they believe that he acted alone. Now, video from the uh, campus security and other technology led the police to Mr. Ibarra. Now, the day of the murder, her suspected killer unloaded a selfie on his TikTok account in which he stared into the camera and grinned. Five months before Riley's murder, Mr. Ibarra had been arrested in New York and charged with acting in a manner to injure a child less than 17 and a motor vehicle license violation. Now, he was ultimately reported to ICE, but the NYPD released him before ICE could get to him, before the detainer could be issued, and therefore he was released. We also know that Mr. Ibarra crossed the El Paso, uh, Texas border back in September of 2022, but was also released from that detention center due to a lack of space. We'll just have to wait and see how this one plays out, ladies and gentlemen. Doesn't look good for Mr. Ibarra. Obviously, he gets the presumption of innocence like any one accused of a crime does, but it doesn't look good. No word exactly whether he confessed to the police or whether he remained silent, but it sounds like there's enough video evidence that it really doesn't matter. Next, prison's gone wild. Um, pretty soon there won't be anybody left to work in the Kentucky Department of Corrections. So what we know is that at least 30 workers with the Kentucky Department of Corrections were caught having sex with inmates behind bars during a 16-month period, while others were found to have smuggled drugs and even guns into the facility. Just don't do it live on YouTube, that's for sure. <laughs> anyway, the investigation uh, revealed 59 cases of employee-on-inmate sexual offenses in the past five years, with 35 cases involving possible criminal charges. Most recently, Amanda Kulka was charged with third-degree sodomy earlier this month for allegedly having a sexual relationship with an inmate half her age. Now, the inmate, who has not been identified, was serving a lengthy sentence for burglary, assault, and theft. And meanwhile, at least 14 others were caught smuggling drugs like Suboxone and methamphetamine into prison in exchange for money. Uh, one officer faces charges for, like I said, bringing in a handgun as well. Now, there's been a total in Kentucky of uh, 62 employees who were either fired or resigned across 13 state prisons um, and minimum security camps, which together house about 11,000 inmates. Now, some people have speculated that the troubles in Kentucky uh, extend beyond inappropriate relationships or smuggling and that the same holds true 
true for correctional facilities across the country. Now, I will tell you this is actually a very big problem. I recall a case where I represented a sheriff deputy years ago who was smuggling cigarettes and I believe some marijuana into the facility. He got maxed by the judge. The judge said you had a badge, you had an obligation, a job, and you spit on it. I remember his words, and he gave him the max penalty. I'm telling you, this has become even more and more of a problem. In prisons now, people have cell phones, and how do they get in there? Well, it's not everybody's just throwing them over the fence. They're getting in there because of the prison uh, officers that are working there. Now, I'm sure there are lots of good uh, detention officers. I know there are. It's always the bad ones, and they do it for money. Why? Because they don't make a whole lot of money as a correctional officer. So you have to take away some of that incentive, I would guess, or you have to make the uh, consequence so great that there is no incentive to do it either way. Now, I can also tell you that uh, somebody going to prison that was a correctional officer is not going to have a fun time. So I would think that would be motivation in and of itself. But like I said, it is a big problem with contraband going into jails. Every booking area always says it's, it's, it's a crime to introduce contraband into the jail. That could be anything from gum to weapons to cell phones, you name it. But yet people still do it. And I can tell you it's a problem. I've had clients that have literally said, hey, some of the best drugs they've ever had have been in custody. I've had clients that never did drugs until they went to prison and they got hooked, addicted in prison. It's a huge, huge problem ladies and gentlemen. And um, I think Kentucky provides a good example of it. And hopefully they crack down because who's running the place if uh, all the guards are going to be going to prison soon too? Something to think about. Next, this guy didn't like the criticism, so he allegedly killed the person criticizing them. So new evidence has been presented in the criminal case against the former Clark County public administrator. Remember this guy, Robert Tellus. And it apparently includes a death threat voicemail made to the um, Las Vegas Journal reporter, Jeff German. Now, German apparently received the voicemail back in February of 2022, according to prosecutors. And uh, like I said, Mr. Tellus is accused of killing the longtime Las Vegas reporter who was found stabbed to death outside his home in early September of 2022. At the time of his death, investigators said German was working on a series of reports detailing allegations of misconduct against Mr. Tellus in his official capacity. Well, the attorney for Tellus said that he was made aware of the voicemail and listened to it with his client. And according to the attorney, the voicemail was related to an article German wrote about extremism in America. And he told uh, people outside the courtroom that the recording is between 40 and 45 seconds and laced with some expletives and some references to uh, President Joe Biden. He described the male's caller's voice as a high, higher pitched uh, male than his client, telling the reporter he didn't believe it was Tellus's voice on the phone. Now, Tellus is scheduled to begin trial next month on March 18th. However, his attorney wants to push that date back given the search of Mr. German's devices, which is ongoing. So an attorney from the uh, Review Journal, where the reporter German uh, reviewed, are going through all of his documents. And apparently they've made progress going through that, but they believe that it uh, could take up until the end of the year to go through the six devices that uh, Germans had, which include four laptops and a hard drive, 
And like I said, they're thinking maybe six to eight months. Now, I'm not sure why the police aren't doing that. I think the defense is doing it to see if there's other people that made threats that could be basically an alternate suspect so that Mr. Tellus would be uh, obviously found not guilty. Now, Mr. Tellus had repeatedly uh, tried to get the attorneys that are going through all of those hard drives removed from the case, uh, but then he hired his new attorney and apparently now everybody's okay with that. So we'll see. if you remember this case, this was the case where the uh, Mr. German was stabbed outside his home and the guy in the big hat um, and coincidentally, allegedly, the hat and the clothes were found at Telus's home. Interesting case. Should make a good trial. Gee, I sure hope we can bring it to you on YouTube, but uh, I don't know. They, they may uh, not let us be live streaming by then either. I don't know. Gee, we've shown knives on here too before. I wonder what they're going to do with that. And finally today, our dumb criminal of the day. Please meet Ronte Stokes. Yes, Ronte. Common spelling. Now, he is an ex-felon. Well, I guess he's a felon, but out of, recently out of the penitentiary. And he attended the wedding of his sister, Anita Brooks. Now, apparently, things didn't go quite as planned at the um, wedding. And uh, Mr. Stokes uh, got into a little family squabble with the bride, his sister. It's alleged that Mr. Stokes then battered the bride, his sister, and created quite a disturbance at the reception. After striking the bride, Mr. Stokes was escorted out of the uh, reception hall and then struck several other victims in the group. And the police charged him with uh, also striking a uh, 65-year-old mother, a niece, and his brother-in-law and another bridesmaid. So Mr. Stokes was having quite the day. I'm sure it's going to be a wedding the family will never, ever forget. Well, when the police questioned Mr. Stokes, he admitted to maybe pushing his sibling to the ground. I mean, she is the bride after all. Isn't that like a family tradition or something? I don't know. Anyway, the court records also show that uh, alcohol may have played a role in uh, Mr. Stokes ruining the wedding. Now, Mr. Stokes was booked into the uh, county jail, uh, five counts of battery, which are now felonies due to a prior felony battery conviction that he had sustained. And he has also got a bunch of misdemeanor criminal mischiefs um, on his record as well for this last little escapade as well for throwing a ceramic lawn chair into a glass door when he was being removed from the reception. Yep. And Mr. Stokes, a man who uh, has a lengthy rap sheet, has been uh, convicted uh, quite recently uh, with a disorderly intoxication and was recently fined $500. He's also been found guilty of possession of fentanyl and marijuana and has spent a combined total of more than 10 years in the uh, Florida Department of Corrections. I mean, I don't know about you. Don't you do that at all of your big family events? I mean, not just have a little dispute. Hey, can you pass the salt? No. Oh, no. Push the bride down. I want to know is, where was the groom? No mention of the groom getting involved in anything. Very odd to me. You think the groom would there be there defending the bride's honor? I don't get it. I have a couple of weddings that I need to go to here uh, in May. I assure you, I will not be doing a Mr. Stokes and uh, pushing any of the brides down. So you all have my word. All right, thanks for watching. We'll see you next time on Crime Talk.